How are we doing today? Everybody good? All right. Two of you. Wonderful. Awesome. How are we doing today? Are you glad to worship our God today? Amen. Well, we are so excited that you are here with us. And uh, don't you just love just singing about, truthfully, just about the love of God that just pours over us. And we've been praying today that you would experience that and that you would be reminded of how much you are loved by him today. Just as a, uh, before we get into the word, you can go ahead and start turning with me to 1 John uh, chapter 4, and we'll also look in the Gospel of John at a few different passages. So start turning to 1 John, but uh, uh, just so you can be praying and give you an update, uh, the foundation for our new facility will be being poured this week. Amen, right? Isn't that exciting? And uh, so uh, just so you know, the steel for the building will be delivered within the next couple of weeks. They anticipate we will be vertical within about 30 to 45 days. And so uh, just to keep you posted, keep uh, praying about that, keep giving to that as we continue to pay that down. I'm just so, so excited, and, uh, but really I'm excited about you being here today as we start a brand new series called One Another. We're excited about this series and uh, pray that, uh, that God really just enhances our relationships as uh, we're going to talk about in this series. Uh, just uh, as curiosity, does anybody here, just all of your relationships are perfect. You never have any trouble with anybody. You get along perfectly with everyone all the time. Is that anybody, Kate? Is that you? All right, anybody? And uh, well, I want to invite you to come speak at this moment, no, and, because we need to learn from you. And, uh, but uh, I don't know about you, but I, could, I can always use help. I can always use help at knowing how to make the relationships that are in my life better, knowing how to do that, and we want to learn about that in this series called One Another. Um, as you would figure, as a pastor, I get asked to do a lot of funerals. Uh, over the 25 years that I've been in the ministry, I've done a lot of funerals, and uh, uh, many for, for, for those of you who have had loved ones that have passed away within our church, uh, and, uh, and I don't know how many funerals I've done over 25 years, but I've done a lot. And normally whenever you're doing a funeral for somebody um, and you're talking to the family, I kind of go through a protocol and a process with the family. I want to know something about that person. I want to hear from them. It's usually not a hard thing to get them to talk about that person uh, that passed away. Uh, A lot of times you'll hear them talk about just how that person loved people in their family or just how they made an impact. And it's not a hard thing to get people to talk about. Even in the midst of grief, they'll still talk about, well, this person changed my life because of this or that. That happens a lot. It really happens a lot. And that that always makes the funeral process, although there's grief there, it always makes it, uh, you know, a funeral that where there's hope and there's love. There's a legacy of love that gets talked about. Well, a few years ago, I got asked to do a funeral for somebody, and I just want to tell you, it was probably the most difficult funeral that I've ever been a part of, and I've been a part of some very difficult ones. But this one was difficult for a number of reasons. Um, I got asked to do this funeral for somebody. I didn't know this man. I knew of him. Uh, he was a very, very distant relative, uh, and, uh, and so I got asked kind of by default to do his funeral uh, by some members of my family. I, I just knew him, uh, knew of him whenever I was a kid, ran into him maybe a couple times uh, at extended family reunions. And, uh, and so he passed away, and, and I, I got, my name got brought up to do his funeral and uh, found out that he didn't have a church, didn't have a church home. Uh, their family did not go to church. They didn't have a church home, they did, so they didn't have a pastor. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they didn't have any money to, uh, to be able to, do, to take care of funeral expenses. And so 
I got asked if I would do this. I agreed to do this. I wanted to try to bless his family. And, uh, and so in that process, uh, leading up to the funeral, I went through the normal protocol with them where I would just say, well, tell me about him. I, d- I didn't really know him, and I don't want to just be someone that's a stranger to your family saying things about you know him that I, that I don't really know anything about, so tell me about him. And so I try to make it personal. I try to get folks to, to help me a little bit with that, okay? And, uh, and, and in this process, the reason this was so tragic was because this process was the most difficult process I've ever been through with a family uh, leading up to this person's funeral um, as I was trying to get them to share some things about, uh, about him with me. And so I, I start with, typically I start with the spouse, and I was with, the, with his wife and asking her, they'd been married for 50 plus years, and I was asking her just to tell me some things about him. And, and so I, I typically I start with a spiritual journey, and I'm like, well, tell me about his spiritual journey. And the, there's always a reason in asking that question. I ask it in that way because I want them to kind of, I don't want to put words in their mouth about whether he was a believer or not a believer. And, uh, and so I'm just, just tell me about his journey. Tell me about what you know about him spiritually or whatever. And all she could really say to me about this was, well, she said, well, he was never really a church-going kind of man. We never really went to church as a family or anything like that. And, and, and that's, that's not an atypical kind of response. I'm kind of used to hearing that. And, uh, and so I said, well, that's okay. I said, I'm not, I wasn't really asking so much about his church experience, but can you tell me about anything you knew about him having a relationship with God? Or did he ever talk about that? Or, and you know, and in fact, she'd even told me, she said he kind of got burned in a church when he was a teenager and something, I don't even remember what happened, but something happened and he kind of carried a bitterness with him uh, towards church. Again, not something that's uncommon and kind of that's the way he's been throughout. And so more or less, she just said, I said, well, can you tell me about any kind of relationship? Did he ever talk about knowing Christ or anything like that? And she said, you know, over the 50 years that we've been married, 50 plus years, uh, we never talked about it. And I just said, you know, I just really, I, I just said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, she actually, I believe, did have maybe some kind of relationship with Christ as we continued to talk with her. But uh, she just said, he just, we just didn't talk about that. That was not something that you could talk about with him. He would shut you down really quick. And so I moved on to the next question, which was, well, tell me about some things about him. Tell me about your relationship with him. And again, talking to the wife, 50 plus years. And again, the whole tone of this talk really turned very dark, not dark, but just difficult. Uh, And she just got it. uh, As we discussed this, there, there obviously was a lot of brokenness in their relationship. She started sharing with me about really how miserable they had been in their marriage and, uh, and even used the word that he had been cruel to her and said that he'd been, really had been cruel to her in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and, and, and she just, she said, I'd planned on leaving him, uh, on a number of occasions. And I'm sitting here listening to this going, I don't believe I can use that in the funeral. Okay. Again, very difficult, a very difficult process. And so this turned more into kind of a therapy session for her, kind of getting a lot of things out that she probably been wanting to say for a long time. And, and, and just the tragic part of this was just how hurt she was. And it wasn't just because of his death, but just how hurt she was probably more because of his life. Are you hearing me? That was hard, really hard. I felt for this family so much. 
I come to find out, and that's, I, I couldn't get anything out of her. Really, the only thing I got out of her was very peripheral issues, which was he loved the Dallas Cowboys. That was some of the first things that she said. Uh, and he loved smoking cigars. That was, that was all I could really get. I was thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do a funeral with that. Okay? Um, I find out they have a child together, uh, a daughter. Uh, they have a child, only child. And so I asked if I could make contact with her. Well, I came to find out that she was estranged to her father. They had not spoken in years. And so whenever I communicated with her and wanted to ask her if she would mind sharing some things with me about her dad, she completely shut me down. She said, I don't want to have anything to do with his funeral at all. So I was really taken back by that. I mean, I've had folks that have been upset in a funeral situation, but this was one where I was given the stiff arm. I don't want to even talk about him. And, and so, I, again, I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to do this funeral. Nobody's given me anything. Nobody's helping me with this. I don't really know what to say about this guy. I, I, I don't feel like I can say these things that they're actually telling me, you know, that he was a miserable person who lived a miserable life. And, well, have a nice day. And, you know, how do you do that in a funeral? And so um, I, I ended up just at this point, the funeral was the next day. And I, I called the wife back and I said, can you put me in contact with anybody that might have something to say about him? Because I, just, I still don't have anything other than he, he loved the cowboys and he loved smoking cigars. Uh, literally, without exaggeration, nobody had anything positive to say about him. Nobody. This was, this was really disturbing to me. It was really bothering me, you know. And, and again, I, I couldn't help but think really the only love that was talked about was his love for the Cowboys and how he loved Tom Landry. That came up. And I was thinking, man, has he been disappointed over the last 20 years, right? If this was the extent of his love. So I was grappling with this. And just as I was preparing this, I was getting this ready. And I was thinking, what a tragic life, Right? What a tragic life because, one, he obviously had no idea how much the God of the universe really loved him. He never, he maybe had heard it, but he didn't, had not actualized this in his life in any kind of way uh, because it was so obvious that that, that that just wasn't the case. And then the second part of the tragedy in this was that the only love that he was known by was a love for the cowboys and his love for smoke and cigars, which, by the way, the cowboys weren't in his funeral, just saying. And the cigars may have even caused it. I don't know, okay? But it was just so tragic to me. And all I could think about in getting this funeral ready was, man, this guy missed it. He totally missed it in life. Missed it in life, what it's all about you know, he missed out on the important thing. The, he missed out, and this is a big deal, he missed out on love. He missed out on ex, that experience of love in his life. And, 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 you know, how much he was loved by God and, and missed out on expressing that love to other people. It was clear by the responses that I got from the people that I tried to talk to uh, about him that nobody ever really felt much love from him at all. In fact, there was a bitterness that seemed to resonate around his life. And I, I sincerely try to reserve myself from casting any judgment upon him. In fact, what I found myself moving towards more than anything as I went through this process was a great deal of pity for him. A great deal of, of compassion and hurt for his family. 
knowing that that absence of love was, was what characterized him. It's what characterized his life. It was the really kind of the, the legacy and the reality. My brothers and sisters, I hope you hear this today, is that love really does matter. It really matters in your life. It really matters in the lives of your family. It's the whole point of our lives is loving God and being in a reciprocal loving relationship with God where we are loving God and we are allowing him to love us because he first loved us, right? As we'll read in just a moment, it matters. And, and being in that same kind of relationship where we are loving people and allowing people to love us in return where it's, where it's that, that's what, the way it's supposed to happen is vertically and horizontally in that sense that we are loving God and loving people around us, right? When I was getting this message ready and as I was starting to prepare this, I couldn't help but think about this as I thought about the tragedy of that man's life. I couldn't help but think about my own legacy, and I started thinking about myself. If something happened to me, like maybe I got run over by a church member while I was running or something, which has nearly happened a couple of times, all right? I'm wondering if that, there's not a, a grand conspiracy that's going on. And, uh, but but if, if, without joking about that, but if something were to happen to me uh, in that sense, right, and someone was needing to get my funeral ready this week, what kind of things would they have to say about the way that I love? What, how, how would I be, uh, how would it be communicated about me, you know, um, about the, from the folks that are closest to me, about the way that I love them, about the, the actions in my love, right? We know that it's a verb, right? How would that be communicated? And, and would, there be, would there be much to say? Or would it just be that he talked a lot about it, right? Because he was a pastor. Would they bring up just peripheral issues like, well, he loved running, he loved this or that, you know, kind of that's what was talked about in this guy's life. And, and, and I guess I just wondered what would be said. Would anybody's life truly be touched by my, by my life because of the way that I love them? The way that I love them. Man, I'll tell you what, that'll get you thinking. And I want to challenge you this morning. I want to turn it to you. If that were to be the case for you this week, right, and I'm not trying to be morbid or whatever, but I think it's an important thing that we think through and that we learn from and that we assess, what would, what would they have to say about the way that you loved? What would those that are closest to you, how would they communicate about your actions of love? What would they have to say about that? What would your legacy of love be? And here is the thing you need to grapple with today. You see, you are creating a legacy. Some kind of legacy you will be remembered by. Your legacy for tomorrow is being created by the action, or we could even say the inaction that you are taking today whenever it comes to love. The presumption is that the people around us, well, they know that I love, but how are you showing that? In what ways do, is it tangible? It's a sobering thought whenever you personalize it, and you don't just think about, well, that's that one guy. No, start thinking about it in terms of what would be said about the way that you love. What kind of love would you be known for, those that are closest to you? How would, how would those that maybe you, you go to church with or you're in a life group with, what would they know about your love? What about those where you work? Do they know you by love in any kind of way? How you love them? Not that you just talked about it or that God loved, you know, and we're going to talk about that. But how would they know about that in your life? What about where you go to school, if you go to school, right? How would you be known for your love, right? 
Now, that's an incredible thought for us to think about today. It's something for us to realize that the way that we love one another is incredibly important. It impacts eternity. It impacts people around us. And, and really, it's all that really lasts in this life. But let's be honest. When we're talking about loving people, we're talking about loving one another. You see, the biggest problem with loving people and loving one another is that they often behave and act like people. Right? I mean, isn't it sometimes pretty difficult to love people? One guy said this, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Right? Another guy, he said this, to live with, above with those we love, oh, that will be the glory. To live below with those we know, now that's another story. That's what he said. Right? And, and so when we talk about loving one another, we talk about loving People, the problem with it is that people are just so often quite unlovable. I mean, it couldn't be us, right? I mean, oftentimes it's, it's people, right? They're, they can be irritating. They can be annoying, especially when they won't use turn signals. Amen, right? When you're in the grocery lane and it's the express lane. And, and by the way, I count. I'm just saying I'm a counter. All right, I count, and, and, and like yesterday, and, and where it's supposed to be 10 or less, and that person had 12. I'm just saying, and I counted, and I'm like, what? It's hard to love. Or when they take two parking spots. That was an experience I saw yesterday, too. And I'm thinking, what am I preaching on? My Oh, love. Uh, and I'm like, why two? And now I've got to park way out here, right? People can be so annoying, especially when they are EGRs. If you've been around here, you know what we call that. What is an EGR? Help me out. Extra grace required. We all need grace, but some need a little extra, right? Okay. And uh, does anybody have an EGR in your life? Would you raise your hands? Don't look at anybody. Don't point at anybody. You've got an EGR, right? Right? Okay, maybe, maybe many of you, some of you not raising your hands are like, who's the EGR? We're all going, or whatever, right? <laughs> maybe it's you. I don't know. But, uh, but the problem with loving people is that they won't stop behaving like people. Well, fortunately, the Bible doesn't just tell us to love one another, all right? It does tell us that, as we'll read, but, but in the Scriptures, specifically in the New Testament, we're going to get, in this series, many of the ways that we can practically do that. How do you do that? See, you're not just told to love one another. We're going to be told by Jesus as well as by Paul and many others how to live that out. And Scripture addresses that in what is called the one another's. The one another's of Scripture. There are 59 by my count of how many of verses, how many verses deal with the one another's. And we're actually going to look at all 59 of those today, and so I'm kidding, all right? And uh, we won't even look at all 59 in the series. We've taken some key ones that we hope will impact you, and you'll be able to use to enhance your relationships, and that you won't just say this is for someone else, but you'll realize that God wants to make your relationships better because he loves you, and he wants that love to emanate from you, okay? They all flow out of this one that we're talking about today, though. All right, they all come out of this, and that is love one another. 
We're called by God, by Jesus, to love each other. So look with me. Before we go to 1 John, we're going to look in the Gospel of John. This is a verse we looked at in our Holy Matrimony series. And here is this passage in chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus has just washed the feet of the disciples. It's the, on the, the night before uh, he would be crucified and pay the ultimate price in love for us. He's, he's just under an intense amount of pressure at this moment. And now he's going to say this to them as they're having their last supper and meal together after he washes their feet. And by the way, they're fighting with each other about who the greatest is, right? And now he's going to say this. He's going to wash their feet. Nobody would wash feet. Nobody would serve each other. Nobody would love each other. They were being prideful with each other. He gets up, starts serving them in this way. And now he says this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other just as I have loved you. That's very important. You should love each other. In fact, will you read the next part with me out loud? Let's say it out loud together. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my what? Disciples. The way you do this, the way you're loving is going to show the world what my love is like. So here's the first thing to write down is that we are commanded It's not an option. We are commanded as believers to love each other. Now, I would even take that a step further. To love each other the way Christ loved. Okay, you could even write that down. That's not on the notes, but I would write that in. We are commanded. If you are a believer, you don't clep out of this. This isn't something that is an option for you. If you're in Jesus Christ and he is in you, right? This is a command. Isn't it interesting he had to command us to do this? You would think that it was maybe it would just come naturally for us. No, he said, I'm going to have to give you a commandment here. All right, because why does he have to give us a commandment? Because there's going to be a lot of times you won't, just like we learned in the last series, you won't feel like loving each other. You won't want to love each other. Maybe you'll be hurt and you won't want to reciprocate love to anyone. So you withdraw and he's saying, no, 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 you don't get to clep out of this. This is something I'm commanding that you do. Jesus impressed this upon his disciples and his disciples would seek to impress it upon us as we carry on what it means to be a believer. You'll find that it's the entirety, just this whole theme of what our faith is about. If you miss this, like the one man that I talked about missed it, you're missing out on this major component of your life as a believer, as a believer and what your life should look like. So look with me in 1 John now. Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. While you're turning there, this was written by John who was the beloved disciple. He was called the beloved disciple and, and he, was, he was deeply loved by Jesus. Jesus loved everybody, but obviously there was a special relationship between he and John. And John wrote about this. Now, John was there when Jesus gave these commandments. And now he's passing these commandments on to a group of believers who are eagerly anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. They're waiting on Jesus to come back for them, right? And now there's a theme that he's going to use throughout this entire book of 1 John is that this is how you are to live your life as a believer while you, with this anticipation that you will stand before Christ at what is called the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ. There are two uh, judgment seats of Christ. One is the Bema seat, that is for believers, 
And then there is called the great white throne judgment, and that is for unbelievers, okay? But this was written to a group of believers, and he's saying, live your life, love people in your life with the idea and understanding that you will give an account on the way that you loved. Now, at that Bema seat of Christ, the reward of Christ is what it is. That is where Christ rewards his people. There's not condemnation at that place. In fact, he will go on in this chapter and say that a perfect kind of love, if you're loving that way, there's no reason for fear. It casts out all fear is what he says, okay? So he's going to say this, and we as believers today, as we eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ, this is how we're supposed to be waiting. We're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to be living it out. Okay, let's go on. He says, dear friends, let us, what's the word? Continue. It's continuing action. It's not a one-time thing. It's not you just did it one time back when you first got saved. Or maybe you do it. He said, no, let us live continually in this. Let us continue to love one another. It's supposed to be evident in your life. He goes on, for love, this kind of love, this godly love, comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. There's a relationship. Okay, you're in relationship with God. So now he lives in you and that love lives in you. So now it should be coming out of your life in the relationship with others is what John is saying. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Okay? Now you should know love is not God. God is love. Right? And, and what that means is it's, it's his character. It all starts with him. We didn't come up with this idea of love. It, begin, it begins with God and who he is and in his being. Right? Okay? It's a characteristic of God here that, that he loves. For God is love. God, now he's going to begin to show how he did this. He doesn't just talk about love. For God showed how much he loved us. Think about your name right there. By sending his one and only son, that's Jesus, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, which would imply that there are, there are kinds of loves that are out there that this, that's, that's not like this, okay? Not that we loved God, this is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And in fact, if you keep reading in this chapter, it says, in fact, he loved us first. He loved us first. That he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now look at verse 11. I want to invite you all to read it with me. Let's participate together. Say it with me. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. The entirety of the Bible can be summed up. Write this down right here, okay? God loves you, and here's what I want to say to you, so let him, let him love you. What I think happens, I think we've heard that so much, and maybe you, you've, you've got it on a bumper sticker, or maybe you've seen it, maybe you grew up in the South in the Bible Belt, you've heard it, we sing songs about it. I think sometimes as believers, we can even get desensitized to the love of God. We can even just think, well, okay, yeah, I, it's not like, you know. But listen to me. Even, even in the book of Revelation, Jesus had to tell the church at, at Ephesus what? He had to tell them to remember your first love. 
And, and, and going back to your first love, what he's saying is, remember how much God loved you first and that your love for him was incredible. Let God love you. How much does God really love you? I mean, and all that that means, I think some of us, we've not actualized that truth. We've heard it, but we don't really maybe believe it. Or maybe we've just gotten uh, insensitive to it or desensitized to it. But, but the, the miracle of, of the universe is this. The greatest news ever is not just that God created you. It's that he created you and that he loves you. That he created you to be in relationship with you. Think about that, okay? That last song that we, that we sang, How He Loves Us, okay? Even one of the lines says, I don't have time to maintain, as I think about these things, to maintain these regrets as I think about the way that you love me. That's why we sang those songs today. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about the depth of the love, that, he's, that he loves you, that he is love, and that you are the object of his love, that he loves you passionately that he loves you personally and sacrificially and eternally and tangibly, and that this love was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. That was another big part of 1 John, why it was written, was that there was, there was a question about whether or not Jesus actually was a real person. And he was addressing this, saying, we saw him. We witnessed him. We saw how he loved. We saw this personally, all right? And, and that he, he didn't just love us. I want you to begin thinking about this. He didn't just love you. He didn't just love me because we are so lovable. Because as we admitted a few moments ago, we can be kind of unlovable at times, amen, right? We can be very challenging to love, right? And, and I want you to think about, about the fact that this love that the God of the universe has for us, now listen to this, is a choice. There's nobody forcing him into this. There's nobody that's saying, you better love those ones you created. It's a choice. I've said this many times to us, right? He loves us, right? He doesn't need us. When he created us, he doesn't need us. He wants us. He wants to be in relationship with us. We don't complete him in any kind of way, right? But he wants to be in a relationship. And there's something that, uh, that was so profound that happened in my life whenever I actually started believing this truth that the God of the universe does really love me. See, as I, after I was eight years old and growing up in church and hearing that a lot, you know what I really had a problem with? I had a problem believing it. Because I thought God's love was a lot like the way that I loved, which was kind of performance-based and was kind of, what do you have for me? What are you going to do for me? But, but, but here's the thing. When I started realizing that there's not anything that I can bring to the table to make him love me more or make him love me less, that he loves me, that he accepts me, that he's for me, when I started that, something started happening in my life whenever I got that. You know what? It started changing me. It started changing the way that I, that, that I would treat other people. Before you can really love like Jesus, you have to first take in how much and the manner in which he has loved you. How he demonstrated it. How he proved it. He didn't just talk a big game about the love, did he? 
I mean, he walked it every day. He lived it. Even in his death, he showed it, right? Do you realize that today? And I just, I, I, I just want to say, and I remember even getting this message ready, I was, I was fearful that some may be like, we already know this. But no, listen to it again. Do you realize today how much he loves you? Do you get that today? I hope that you do. Or do you think that, that whenever I'm talking about this love, do you think that it's for someone that's holier than you? For someone that's better than you? For someone that didn't get hooked on porn or, or pills or whatever else you want to say that you struggled with in your life? A lot of times we think that he could never love someone like me or this couldn't really be for me, right? Uh, or, or, you know, when I'm talking about this today, I don't want you to think about somebody else. I want you to realize that who I'm talking to today is you, that he loves you. Yes, he loves all of us here today, but do you realize personally that he loves you? individually, that he knows you, that he knows everything about you, that he knows everything that has ever been and will happen in your life and and hasn't even happened yet, and he still loves you. He loved you before you ever loved him. He loved you even when you failed him. He's loved you and continues to love him when you've forgotten about him and you don't maybe care as much about him. You know, he never stops loving you. We sang about his unfailing love. It's so different than our kind of love. I want you to take this in today. You have never lived a day in your life that you were unloved. You have always been loved. Even if not a single other person in this world, even if your parents rejected you, even if they never loved you or whatever, you were still loved by God. He has loved you with an eternal love. I love what Psalms 103 says, and and the psalmist writes this, and I want to read it to you in the message. Now listen to this. God is sheer mercy and grace. Not easily angered. He's rich in love. This is how he feels about you, okay, and me. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold nor hold grudges forever. The implication is that's kind of more like our kind of love, right? But he goes on and he says, He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as heaven is over the earth, so strong is his love for those who fear him. And as far as sunrise is from sunset, as far as the east is from the west, they never come together, right? As far as east is from the west, he has separated us from our sins. He's covered over our sins. We've been made righteous in his sight. Now look at this. I love this. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear him. He loves you. Do you know how much he loves you? And some of you, again, as believers, maybe it's just been some time since you've really contemplated that and you've thought deeply on this. He pursues you. He accepts you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to walk with you through everything in your life. This is our God of love. This is how he feels about you. Take that in today, and when it finally resonates within you how much you're really loved by God, as you process that, you know what I want to tell you happens? Something starts happening in your heart. 
Something starts happening by the way that you start loving and looking at other people because, you see, I don't think we fully can understand how to love other people the way that Jesus loved us until you first understand how much he really does love you. You can't offer to other people what you don't possess yourself, right, or what you don't understand. It's going to be a whole lot easier for you to love people who are hard to love when you realize how much you have been loved. So here's the next thing to write down. Once we catch how much God really loves us, write this down. Loving each other is what identifies us with Jesus Christ. It's what identifies us. Now look at this next verse. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. All right? So no one has seen God. But if we love each other, this verse is key. God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression. Now, this is really important. What does it say next? In us. That love is brought to expression through you, to other people. The way other people are going to know about God's love, what he's saying is it's going to come through you. It's going to come through me, through us, brought to full expression, a God-like kind of love. So what John is saying is when Jesus lives in you, when you become a believer, now that you're a believer, that love of God lives in you. It's in your character now. It begins to transform you. Now it, it emanates from your character because God's in you. Our love for each other, for people, it identifies us as followers of Christ. He said, the way you do this shows the world that you actually follow me. I just want to say this, that it's not your church attendance, and we do hope that you come regularly. It's not that you wear a, a wristband that says WWJD. That's not what identifies you to the world as a, as a believer. It's not the, the bumper sticker that's on your car or the fish that you have or your Christian t-shirts. That's not what's going to convince the world about God's love. Do you know what it's going to be? Your love. He said, that's how they're going to know about me. It's by the way you love each other. It's by the way that you love other people. Well, how did Jesus love? He was so radical in his love. Do you know what? It freaked people out. I mean, it freaked them out by the way that he loved people, by the way that he loved people like lepers, right? And the lepers were those that, with the skin disease that was contagious. And, and Jesus, when no one else would be around them, and they, they looked down on them, they were outcasts, they were on the margins. What would Jesus do? He would give them attention. He would love them. He would notice people that no one else would notice. He would even, like with lepers, this kind of blows me away, he would touch them, right? No one would ever touch them. This was so important. I thought to myself, it's a good thing I'm not, Jesus, because I'd be like, I'd be healing you from across the room, right? Okay, because I, I don't want to catch that. I'm kind of a germaphobe, right? But Jesus would go and be in their presence, and he would put his hands on them. And he would love them, and he would speak into them. He would look in their eyes where no one would even look at them. And the best way you're going to show people what God is like is by loving them. And this is what he says, the way I love you. He had a reputation for loving people who had problems with sin. He loved people that were even caught in the act of adultery, and he would love them, right? He loved the hated tax collectors. He loved those people that were on the outskirts and in the margins and those that weren't noticed by others or they didn't want to notice them. They had this judgment against them, and he would show God's love to them. He would love people, and he said, that's what I want my church to be about. That's what I want you to be about is to go about showing love in that kind of manner, the way that I've loved you. Uh, the community that's out here that, that doesn't know about my love yet, how are they going to know about Jesus? 
It's going to come by the way that you love them. It's going to come by the way that you interact. It's not, it's not going to come by, by beating them over the head with the Bible and, or anything like that. It's going to come by acts of love that point to God, that opens up dialogue about why we love people so much. You see what I'm saying? It opens up bridges, right? We don't want to be just known as a church that's, that, that is going to have great facilities, all right? That's not going to last. We don't want to just be known as a, as a church about how, just how great the music is or how good or how bad the preaching is or how great the breakfast burritos are. Those are all good things. But, but the way that people are going to know is by the way that we love. By the way that we love. Don't you want people, in, and, and I want people just to have this experience that whenever they come and they come to a worship experience with us, that they walk away and one, they feel the love of God because they've experienced his presence and, they, and we point people to Jesus. But secondly, they've also felt the love of God because you, the church, have shown them the love of God. That you've noticed them. Where they're like, man, they weren't just kind of consumed with themselves. They, they recognized that I was here. They, they were acted glad that I was here. They, they gave up their spot for me. Someone gave up a parking spot for me. Someone did this for me. Jesus said, if you want to look like and act like me, then show people what I'm like by loving people like I've loved you. That's what he says to do. Show them through the way that you love. Well, what does the love of Jesus look like? Just very quickly write some things down. How did Jesus love? Well, he was accepting. He accepted people. He accepted you. You didn't have to clean up first to come to him. He accepted you with all of your grime and your filth and mine as well, right? He, he made people feel accepted and wanted and valuable and significant. Now, acceptance doesn't mean approval, right? He doesn't just overlook and not ever address what happens and what's gone on in our life. He loves us enough to speak truth to us into our life because he wants us to live the full life that he has for us. I mean, I think about the woman that was caught in adultery, right? Everyone else was going to cast stones at her. And Jesus said, let the one among you that has no sin cast the first stone. You know the story. They dropped the rocks. They walked off. And it was just Jesus and her left there, standing there together. And what does Jesus say? Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they're all gone, Lord. And he says this to her, neither do I condemn you. But what does he also say? But go and sin no more. He confronted the sin in her life, but he accepted her and he loved her and he looked at her and, and you know, he, he paid attention to her. And, and, and this is the same thing that he does for us when he says, I accept you. Come to me. I'm going to do a work in your life that's going to change you. He defended her dignity. He defends your dignity. He accepts you. He didn't deliver a 10-point sermon to her at that moment on adultery. He could have, but he didn't. He fought for her. He recognized her as a person with value, and he calls us to accept one another. Look at what Paul says about it. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, this is all about the love of God right here and how we've been changed and transformed. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. So I want to ask you this, okay? Is there somebody that you need to accept this week? I'm not saying you have to approve of everything, approve of the lifestyle. They just need to see that you validate them as a human being. 
and that you accept them, right? Is there someone that, that God would show you this week that they need to know that, that you would accept them, right? Open your eyes this week and ask God to speak through you and to you, okay, in this. Here's another thing about Jesus' love. I love this. He took initiative. He didn't wait around to be asked, right? He saw the need. He was in, he's in heaven, right? He knows that we are separated from God. He took initiative. It says in the scriptures that he loved us first. We didn't love him first, and then he was like, well, I guess I'll love you now. Or I feel obligated to return it. No, he took initiative. He didn't wait around. So what do you learn from that? Don't wait to be asked this week. Open your eyes. Watch for needs this week. See where there's a need in somebody's life, a neighbor, someone you work with. Take the initiative. Jesus always took the initiative. Don't wait to be asked. Here's another thing. He was intentional. Every conversation Jesus had with somebody, there was, there was a reason in it. As he noticed people, there were divine appointments that he had. He was intentional, and it wasn't accidental. It says in certain, certain passages in the Gospels that he went to a certain area specifically. I think of the, the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, where nobody else would go. He went specifically to speak to her. What if this week that you, as you are going about your business, you viewed, as you're loving like Jesus, you viewed every opportunity and with every person that you cross this week, every person, even the ones that are hard to love, as maybe a divine appointment where you are to be the love of Christ to that individual. What if this week that you and I, was, we went about our business, we were living intentionally, living on mission, and we started viewing our daily encounters. Every encounter Jesus had, had a purpose in it. What if while you were at work or at school or at the grocery store, whatever, in life group, you realized God was crossing your path? See, sometimes it's all about we want to feel loved. What if this week you flipped it around and you're like, I'm going to show, I'm going to show the world, I'm going to show people around me, I'm going to show them the love of Christ. I'm going to love people. What if you did that this week? Here's another thing. He was sacrificial. He gave up everything for us. The kind of love like Jesus is a sacrificial, costly kind of love. As Randy said a few moments ago, the 15-year anniversary of 9-11. Does that blow you away the way that it does me? Did that 15 years go really fast for the rest of you the way it did for us? When I thought about that this week, I thought about the costly kind of love. When people were running out, as those buildings were coming down, people were running out, right? Firemen, first responders, and you hit some of the stories that inspire us were ones where somebody laid their life down for someone else, right? When others were running away, terrified, and, and, and probably many of us would have been, right? But the ones that were running in, that is a godly kind of love. Jesus even talks about it. This is my commandment. He says it in, this, in John 15. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He's saying, a love like my love costs you something. It may cost you time this week to love somebody. It might even cost you money. I hate to tell you that. It might cost you attention. It might inconvenience your schedule. It, may, it costs, though, to love like Jesus. It's going to cost. 
In conclusion, I want to ask you this question. It may seem like an odd question, but it's a good question, all right? Is anybody else excited about football starting the way that I am, okay? <laughs> Amen, right? Randy just raised his hand. He is, I tell you what, Jesus says to love even the Razorbacks. Amen, right? <laughs> Go Hogs. <laughs> um, I want to show you what I think could maybe be the best football story of this entire year on a video that I want you to watch. Um, I want you to watch for the Christ-like love in this video. And it's going to be taught to us from a bunch of kids. I love it. Watch this. We end tonight with the football play of the month. It was executed with amazing precision by the Eagles, the Olivet Eagles. Steve Hartman has the play and the post-game analysis on the road. Between classes, they schemed and conspired. For weeks, the football players here at Olivet Middle School in Olivet, Michigan, secretly planned their remarkable play. Did anybody go, this is a crazy idea? No, everyone was in on it. But, like, the coaches didn't know anything about it. So we were, like, going behind their back. I've just never heard of a team coming up with a plan to not score. It's just, like, to make someone's day, make someone's week, just make them happy. The play, which was two plays, actually, happened at a home game earlier this month. The first part of their plan was to try to get as close to the goal line as possible without scoring, even if it meant taking a dive on the one-yard line, which it did. The crowd was not happy. Quarterback Parker Smith. But us kids knew, hey, we got this. This is our time. This is Keith's time. Keith Orr is the little kid in the brown jacket. He's learning disabled, struggles with boundaries, but in the sweetest possible way. Because of his special nature, it's no surprise that Keith embraces his fellow football players. Hug, Gabe. What is surprising is how they have embraced him. Hello. We thought it'd be cool to do something for him. Because we really wanted to prove that he was part of our team and he meant a lot to us. Nothing can really explain getting a touchdown when you've never had one before. Which brings us to part two of their play. If you didn't see Keith, it's because they were so protective of him. But he was in the middle of that rush. And when you crossed the goal line, what was that like? Awesome. It was like, did he just score a touchdown? Get your what? camera out. I'm like, oh, I can't. Keith's parents, Carrie and Jim, almost missed the moment, but they got the significance. Somebody's always going to have his back from now until the day he graduates. She's right. When the football team decides you're cool, pretty much everyone follows suit. Today, Keith is a new kid, although by no means was he the only one who was profoundly changed. What was it like for you? It was like, like once I saw him going, I was smiling like about like here. <laughs> Wide receiver Justice Miller. Like nothing could wipe that smile off my face. Why did it affect you so much? Because like he's never been like cool or popular. And he went from being like pretty much a nobody to making everyone's day. Justice admits the play wasn't his idea. I would have not really thought about that. He says it never crossed his mind to give Keith any glory. Well, I kind of went from being somebody like 
mostly cared about myself and my friends to caring about everyone and trying to make everyone's day and everyone's life. Which may just make that touchdown the most successful football play of all time. Steve Hartman on the road in Olivet, Michigan. Wow, don't you love that? Love that. Yeah, let's clap to God. That's awesome. When you watch something like that, though, isn't that amazing, though? Isn't that exactly how Jesus loves you? Isn't that what he's done? And obviously that kid was not a nobody. But, but God comes in and he takes nobodies and he makes them into somebodies. How were they with him? They took initiative. They were scheming and planning, weren't they? They, they were intentional. They accepted him. They sacrificed. Somebody had to not get a touchdown that time, right? So that he could get a touchdown. That's exactly what Jesus does for us. That's how he loves us. That kind of love, I'm telling you, it comes from God. I want to close with this. The same question I asked you at the beginning. Should somebody be preparing your funeral? And I hope that's not the case. But should somebody be preparing your funeral soon? What would they say about the way that you love? Would they, would they just say that, you know, you love peripheral things? Or would they really, really know how much you loved? i just invite you to pray with me right now, if you will. See, one other thing about Jesus' love is that he's forgiving, right? He's forgiving Jesus forgave people who wronged him, people who denied him, people even who crucified him. He said, Father, forgive them. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? That's loving like Jesus loves. Have you received this love and grace and this forgiveness in your life? If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I hope today, if you didn't catch anything else, that you know how much God loves you and that he wants to be in a relationship with you, that he's pursued you all of your life. And he wants you to know him. If you've never called upon him to be your savior, you can call upon him right now. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. Thank you for loving me. Will you be my savior? I invite you into my life. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. If you've already accepted that truth in your life and you're a believer, maybe you just need to rediscover how much he loves you today. He's for you. And let that just resonate in your spirit this morning so that when you go out of here, you're loving people in that same kind of way. Who do you need to accept? Who do you need to be intentional with? Who do you need to to make certain that they understand about the love of God? need to forgive if you're a believer just ask the Holy Spirit to to open your eyes this week to show you maybe just one act of kindness could change somebody's life because you decided to step out of your comfort zone and out of your own little world and say God I am yours to be used by you this week I want to change somebody's life for your sake Would you use me? Ask him to use you this week. If you'll ask him, 
and you'll open your eyes, he'll use you. How different will our community be with all of these acts of kindness that are coming from Eagles View Church? We thank you, Lord, for not just telling us how much you love us, but showing us. We thank you, Lord, for modeling it for us today. We want to just love people the way that you do, Lord. Would you open our eyes in Jesus' name? Amen.